Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by Summer at SLU. Find your kids' best summer yet at St. Louis University. Okay, three, two, one, hit it. It's the Chris and Amy Show. You know who it is. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show. Now, Amy Marks scores Chris Ranji on KMOX. Hey, good morning, friends. It is Wednesday. January seventeenth. Mm. We are just uh, we're just moving along here in twenty twenty four, aren't we? We are. Hey, John Hancock is with me. Hey, hey, hey. Amy Marks Kors is out. She's on her ski trip. Uh, I think we figured out she was at Hidden Valley. Um, <laughs> so she's uh, back tomorrow. Back tomorrow. Tomorrow she Lovely. will be back from her third vacation of twenty twenty four. Impressive. Uh, so in the meantime, it's. All of us. It's John Hancock. It's me. It's you. It's 314-436-7900. That's the number. You call it. You can text it. And if you just want to leave a voicemail, mm. that's a great way to communicate. It is. 314-944-1120. They say people don't leave voicemails anymore. But well, they do. Just here us. they do. They do for us. They do. We're on social media. Oof. At Chris Amy KMOX. We are on the Odyssey app. Wow. Or do you have that downloaded, John? It's on there. It's on your phone? Yeah. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Listen to the show for free and catch the podcast after. And we're on KMOX.com as well. Time now for the top of the order. The top three stories everybody will be talking about. Well, Iowa has been completed. That was done a couple of days ago. So now it is on to the New Hampshire primary for the Republican Party. And we will discuss that here in a moment. And Donald Trump says CNN and NBC should lose their license. Oh, for not airing the speech? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, we're going to talk about the implications of a comment like that. Also, are you a fan of The Office, Love the John? Office. Yes. Creed Bratton will be say. joining the show today. You don't say. That's Creed right. Bratton, right yeah. here. He does a, a live act. He's a musician, you know, actor, obviously, and he'll be he'll be on the show today. Hmm. Going to look forward to talking to Creed. This, so, is, this is almost more than I can bear, this show. I, I mean, it's going to be amazing. I know. So your other half... Yeah. Well, you're not your uh, not your lady other half, yeah. but your uh, your friend Michael My Kelly, snooker, partner. your snooker pal, yeah. Michael Kelly, uh, was on the show yesterday, and we did talk about Iowa and what it means moving forward. And now we get to New Hampshire, which mm-hmm. is next week. Thought it'd be um, good to get a little bit of a different point of view from you. Well, that's today. what I, I will bring a different point oh, of God. view than than Michael Kelly. Yeah, that's what I do. It's what they pay me so little for. <laughs> so let's just let me get your thoughts on on what happened there. It was a um, decisive victory for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I think we all kind of figured that's how it was going to go. He got over 50 percent of the vote. Granted, um, the turnout wasn't as high as it typically is in Iowa, which is a big deal. It, now, so explain that to me. How big of a deal is it really? And does it have actual election implications or primary implications. So, you know, Iowa, once this caucus thing is over, really isn't that big of a deal. Um, 
And it's also not particularly reflective of the country. But if the if the diminution of turnout was because of the weather, okay, that's one thing. Uh, but I suspect it's not. And, I, you know, it's clear to me that the Republican electorate has changed in the Trump era. A different – there's a different – sect of the population that identifies as a Republican, uh, those people are different today than they were 10 years ago. And my suspicion is that a lot of traditional Republicans just, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to play this game. And, uh, and if that's the case, it could spell problems for Trump in November. But I will say this, the, the key to this election there are millions of people in this country that love Donald Trump. They love everything about him, what he stands for, how he conducts himself. They, you know, but they're not enough of them to elect him president of the United States. There are, however, enough folks that either are traditional Republicans or who are independents who really are dissatisfied with Joe Biden. That if those people end up <clears throat> voting for Donald Trump, he's going to win. So that's I've always been really fascinated by people who will be undecided two weeks before the election. When you know the candidates as well as we know these candidates, and I guess you can make an argument that people don't know Nikki Haley all that well yet. I don't think most people in the country are paying attention to political news all the time like we are. Bingo. So but once you get into the process of. You know, uh, it, it. you know who your candidates are. You know uh, who your top two are. How do you not know who you're going to vote for two weeks before an election? And I mean the general, not the primary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because a lot of people just don't pay attention. I can't tell you who's on uh, The Amazing Race this year, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't pay any attention well, to it. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, or the or the other one where they where they kick you off the island thing. I, I Survivor. Say, yes, I couldn't tell you what's going on with Survivor, and there's a whole lot of people out there that were surprised that Trump won the Iowa caucus when all the polling data said he was going to win it by a lot. Right, and uh, and they, you know, they were surprised. And then there's a whole lot of people that just aren't paying any attention to any of it. And many of them, come November, are going to go and vote, and and they won't think about it much and make their mind up until very very late. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting. I don't imagine there are as many independents as there used to be, just generally speaking. Well, it's interesting because the part we're in a period of realignment, uh, p- partisan realignment right now in, in a historical context, in, in a similar way that we were back in the 1980s with, with Ronald Reagan. And the parties were changing. And so the, what happens when parties realign is that people who may have used to consider themselves a Democrat or a Republican go through a period of time where they consider themselves an independent. So it's possible, and I've not, I've not delved into the polling data, but I suspect that you'd actually have a larger number of so-called independent voters who no longer feel comfortable identifying with either party than you would have had, you know, after the parties kind of solidified in the post-Reagan era the the number of independent voters diminished, and I I suspect they're going to grow now as as the Democratic Party becomes more progressive post Biden, uh, and the Republican Party becomes more 
nationalistic, populistic uh, in the Trump era, uh, you're going to find a lot of people dislocated from both of those two parties that are going to wind up in the middle. And uh, that's going to become, I think, uh, a pretty big deal going forward. I always question whether or not everything happens symmetrically. When we talk about the political parties, you know, the, the one of the the phrases I hate the most is um, both sides. Yeah. Both sides do this. Both sides right, do right, that. Right. I think that's lazy analysis to say that because mm-hmm. I don't think it's true. I don't think each side is always doing whatever to the same degree as the other side is doing. Sure. It. Do you mm-hmm. believe, though, that the left is really as left is as the right is right? Do you know what I mean by that? Well, yeah, they are. But here's the, here's the difference, and there is a difference. The Republican change is about six to eight years ahead of where the Democrats are uh, as far as the, the shaking out the uh, and becoming more strident. Uh, the Republican Party has become more strident in a, in a populistic direction. The Democrats have this progressive wing of their party that's not the majority of their party right now but the same kinds of things that i witnessed happen in the republican party eight ten years ago the the democratic party is in the beginning phases of that interesting in my opinion so you believe that the same but i think ultimately when this realignment plays out and because of the nature of our primaries i i think you're going to start seeing more democratic primaries picking progressive candidates to fill seats going forward. Do you believe that if the situation were reversed, okay, I, I know, so you're saying about six to eight years yeah. from now that we're a little behind, yeah. so maybe not right now. Right. But if there's a situation six years from now uh-huh. where the Democrats have the exact same majority or a similar majority in the House to what Republicans have right now, that there would be difficulty governing in the oh, same way the no Republicans. Question, no okay. question about it. No question about it. Because yeah. it seems to me right now, just observing, and maybe it's because of what you're talking about, that they're six to eight years behind, right. that they they tend to give in to the majority anyway. That you've got that left wing of the party in the House, yeah. but they tend to side with the with the, well, the moderates did. anyway. Certainly uh, under Pelosi, they, they did. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is when you are the minority party in a legislative body, it is much easier to hold things together. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. You know, we're, you're already a minority and you've joined forces and come together and win what you can. That's John Hancock. He's in for Amy Marks Corps. I'm Chris Ranji. Um, some comments from Ron DeSantis we want to get to. Uh, he did mention what former President Trump said about NBC and CNN and, and how it pertains bigger picture to the media moving forward, which I do really believe is a fascinating topic. And we're going to talk about that later on as well. That's Hancock. I'm Chris Ranji. This is KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. 
John Hancock in for Amy. I'm Chris Ranji. Um, we do have Thane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst, with us at the bottom of the hour. Uh, former President Trump has the um, the defamation suits that is ongoing with E. Jean Carroll. It's been happening over the last couple of days, and we'll get his take on on what is happening there. But uh, John, I wanted to, to ask you about this from Ron DeSantis, who came in second in the Iowa caucuses on Monday and uh, right in front of Nikki Haley, but just by a couple of percentage right. points, mm-hmm. it's not, I mean, two percentage points decides an election, but it's not a resounding uh, defeat by any means from, you know, on her part. Right. right? Um, they both lost. They both lost by badly to Donald yeah. Trump right. by 30 points. So here is Ron DeSantis in a town hall yesterday talking about the nomination and whatever the Republican Party decides to do and what that will mean for the party moving forward. Donald Trump is the nominee. The election will revolve around all these legal issues, his trials, perhaps convictions if he goes to trial and loses there, uh, and about things like January 6th. Uh, We're going to lose if that's the decision that voters are making based on that. So that's what he has to say about it. I think back to the 2016 election when Lindsey Graham said, we're going to lose if he is, right. we're going to lose huge, or I forgot exactly how he put it. And, and deserve it. Is and what deserve he said. it. Yeah. He said, yeah. we're going to lose and yeah. we're going to deserve it. His tune has changed. Well, clearly that didn't, well, he's endorsed him again, yeah. right? Uh, clearly that did not play out the way he said. Is DeSantis wrong here? Yeah. And and he, and I was wrong. I, I thought six, eight months ago, that Donald Trump could not possibly win a national election. And and I I think the electability argument on Donald Trump was the, the strongest, p- perhaps, argument in a primary to make. The problem with that argument is I don't think it's true. And if you look at the polling data in the battleground states right now, Trump is beating Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a bad candidate, and you can dress it up, and you can, you know, and and look, Donald Trump's a bad candidate too. Um, but you know, if the if the argument is that Trump cannot win, I don't think that's a persuasive argument any longer, and and it's also not the best argument to to differentiate yourself from Donald Trump if you're Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley. Although I think now it's largely academic. I think it's too late. Uh, I think Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee. I can't foresee anything that's going to happen in the next two months that's going to fundamentally change where the Republican electorate is. And the Republican electorate, 70 percent of the people that went to the caucuses in Iowa believe the 2020 election was stolen. It was yeah. 69 to be exact, right? Okay, I mean, whatever, it, whatever, but, but like that's Only the number thir- you're talking well, about. Yeah, 30% right? thought it was a that's, legitimate. That's, that's an so, astounding number. It is because it's it's just not true. And, and, and people aren't going to be convinced that it's not true, even though it's demonstrably not true. And, and so when you've got that in the electorate out there, there's no, you're not going to convince people that think everything Donald Trump says is the truth that he's not a good candidate for president. And you can make an argument that the country economically, your personal household income situation was better when Trump was president than it has been with Biden as president. Now, president doesn't control all of the economy. 
That's interesting. But, There's new polling on that that says people are happy with their finances. We, we, we'll get into that yeah, yeah, a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, that's certainly not true of Republican voters right now. And so I just don't I don't see any scenario by which Donald Trump is not the Republican nominee. And I think he could be elected president. Have you seen the Haley advertisement, the television ad that she put out in the immediate aftermath of Iowa? No. Let not. me let's I want you to hear this and All tell right. me what your thoughts are. The two most disliked politicians in America, Trump and Biden, both are consumed by chaos, negativity, and grievances of the past. The better choice for a better America? Nikki Haley. I have a different style and approach. I'll fix our economy, close our border, and strengthen the cause of freedom. We need a new generation of conservative leadership to get it done. I'm Nikki Haley, and I approve this message. By the way, the musical score there has got a real uh, Oppenheimer feel to it. If you have not seen that movie, you'll know what I'm talking about when you do. Uh-huh. Um, that's a strategy of, of kind of combining the two together, the two candidates, Biden and Trump, and lumping them together. It's I, I mean, it seems like a good strategy if she had been doing it for longer um, to, you, you know, you're, you're not necessarily alienating Trump because you're not going directly after him. And people are very sensitive mm-hmm. when you criticize him directly, mm-hmm. which has always been a very strange idea to me. So if you put them together, you put the two guys together, maybe it lessens that a little bit. Had she been doing this from the very start, does it put a dent in how popular he is? Maybe, but I, I kind of doubt it. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that approach is I mean, now it's demonstrably true that Biden and Trump are very unpopular amongst the broader population. I mean, that is she's she's correct in that uh, both of them have roughly 60 percent of the public that would rather they not be president. And so uh, but it's beginning to look like one of them will be. And so I, I don't know that that's particularly persuasive. And the other thing that these guys, are, the Republican Party has changed. It's not a conservative party anymore. It's not, uh, you know, the movement conservatives of yesteryear who were predominant in the Republican Party, and I count myself among them, no longer are anything close to a majority of the, of that electorate. It's a, it's a populist, it's a nationalistic uh, party now. And, uh, and it, it used to be that way too. I mean, that, that element's been around for a while. So uh, I don't think that Nikki Haley's approach is going to work. Uh, and I don't think Ron DeSantis' approach is going to work. I think Donald Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. Text message coming in, going further left than ever before, talking about the left. And Republicans seem to not be quite as right. They're kind of moving more lenient. I also believe those who do not watch any of the deb- debates or listen to the speeches, they probably just vote party line. I'm sure that's correct. I'm sure most people just go straight ticket pretty much every year. A lot of people. Legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum joins us next on KMOX. John Hancock is just learning about Beck. Do you like this? Oh, that's Glenn Beck. I had no idea. Glenn Beck? Oh. No, he's not crying. Oh. No, it's Glenn. It's Beck. Just the the artist Beck. Uh, Debbie Monterey's son is. Okay. Beck, isn't he? You never heard. No. You know what? There's a there's a band that's uh, getting back together. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you later if you know who it is. I can't wait. And I I promise you, you don't. 
But you should. You may be surprised, right? Because they were they were out there and big for a long time. Oh yeah, if they were big, I know. Well, <clears throat> that's Sean Hancock. I'm Stay Chris Ronji. Uh, the uh, defamation suit ongoing, and they're trying to figure out what the damages are going to be for former President Trump, E. Jean Carroll. You may have heard that name before. A person who accused him of um, uh, rape, essentially. And a, a jury found that that did, in fact, happen. So now it's about the damages. Uh, that trial is ongoing. And to discuss what is happening now, the latest on it, we bring in CBS News legal analyst Thane Rosenbaum with us on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Thane. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, John. So where are we right now in that particular trial? It is day two, correct? It is. So let me just start off by saying, Here's the interesting little quirk. The jury uh, last time didn't actually find that Donald Trump raped her. It's that he committed a sexual assault in a dressing room of Bergdorf Goodman, which is a department store here in New York City. Um, So the Trump team has always said, wait a minute, you alleged that I raped you. And the evidence that you presented in front of this def- the jury for the, again, this is not a criminal case, right? Mm-hmm. This is a civil defamation case. The civil, the criminal case would have lapsed. This is, this goes back to the 1990s. So the statute of limitation is gone. There is a law now in New York that says, well, if you want to, if you are a victim of sexual assault and you want to bring a civil suit, we extend the time period. So this is really just a defamation case. But it is interesting because I liked what you said because I thought, well, it goes back to something that Trump has been saying all along, which is the jury didn't conclude, didn't find that I raped you, but I only committed a sexual assault. Maybe that's not great either. But how is it that I how is it that I defamed you if I said I didn't rape you and the jury said I didn't rape you either? I just committed a sexual assault. So the first case was really about things that Donald Trump said and denied when she claimed in a book that he had raped her. This is before he became president. So the jury awarded uh, her a $5 million defamation uh, damage award. Uh, This case looks exactly like the other case, except that now it's about statements he made while he was president. He said the same statement. I didn't rape you and you're not my type. You're not the kind of person I would, I mean, it's a disgusting comment, but I wouldn't rape you. You're not my type. So she said, look, I've received incredible uh, reputational damage. I'm getting hammered on social media from all the Trump fans who think I'm a terrible person. And so the first jury verdict was for $5 million to restore her reputation or to give her uh, uh, damages. And this is now for $10 million on top on the exact same allegations. The difference is, you'll hear the words if you read up on this. She says, yeah, but now you did it as president with the biggest megaphone on the planet. If you said it when you're president, everyone is going to take you seriously. And so therefore, the damages are now $10 million. So the issue isn't, the trial is not about whether it happened or, or whether he denied it. The court is saying, we already decided you did it and you denied it. Um, but we're really deciding on another level of damages referring to when you were president. So the, the $10 million is are, those are actual damages that she's claiming in the suit, correct? 
So, you know, look, remember in the last few, we're, we're in the, the golden era of defamation suits, right? We had uh, Rudy Giuliani a few weeks ago, right? $137 million to two election workers. Fox News, $780 million, I think, to Dominion so, Voting yeah. Right. Think of these. You know, normally, people say in the United States it's impossible to win a defamation click case. Not anymore, and not against the Trump people. <laughs> you can always win. You get big jury verdicts when it comes to that. Yeah, so, so my, my uh, question was, if, if that's the – there's still a punitive damage component to this that could far exceed the $10 million, or am I wrong about that? Yeah, I mean, they, it's, it, they didn't do it the first time, right? It could be. They could this time add additional damages. Look, you know, if you're if you're a if you're a Trump fan or supporter, you're saying, seriously, fifteen million dollars? Wow, um, you know. And also, they're going to bring in expert testimony, right? Miss uh, Carroll's going to bring expert testimony. I think there's somebody from Northwestern University who's going to say, in an age of social media, it will cost seven million. She'll just come up with a number. She may be right. It'll cost seven million dollars to restore your reputation through social media campaigns. Or, or, or to say you have lost X number of, of uh, money uh, because your reputation was destroyed, your income was destroyed. I don't know. You know, who knows? Did, did, did Rudy Giuliani really defame the two women for $137 million? Very subjective. I don't know. I don't know the answer, and I don't think anyone does. It depends on what mood the jury's in. Trump is arguing, or his, his attorneys are arguing, that actually— after all of this happened, she did better for herself, right? Isn't that isn't that part of the discussion that she wasn't really harmed financially in any way because uh, things got better for her in that area after all of this took place? Yeah, it's an argument. It's a good one, right? You're claiming you've been reputationally damaged. You've lost income. You're damaged, and in fact, your career has never been better. I made you. Uh, you know, you wrote a book. No one would have cared about your book had you not made this allegation about me. I mean, she looked, she was an advice, I think an advice columnist for Elle magazine. So she had a readership, a following in the fashion industry. So I think that, you know, she's basically saying through my work at Elle magazine, I got to meet all these really cool, famous people, including Donald Trump, who raped me. And so, you know, so they're saying, look, you know, you're doing better as a, as a result. In what way are you damaged? Now, she's going to say, yes, but look at the, you know, the, the reputational damage. The fact that I'm making money isn't the real issue. The issue is I can never restore my good name. And that's, in the end, what defamation is about. It, it is an injury to nothing. It's not a physical injury. It's an injury to something more intangible, like the way people feel about you, the, 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 your reputation in the community. And that's where it gets really subjective, right, because the jury's going to step in. I think what's interesting about this case is that the judge is telling the jury, I am not asking you to decide whether he attacked her. I'm not asking you to decide whether he lied about that. And I'm just asking you how much more money should be tacked onto it because he lied twice. He lied before he was president and he lied while he was president. So it's a very narrow trial, right, when you think about it. You know, Donald Trump is upset. He came to court yesterday and he wants to show up because I think he wants to say to the world, but I never raped her. <laughs> and so this is all about, you know, and but the court, we've seen this in, a, in, in the New York uh, uh, civil fraud case. 
where the judge had already decided that Donald Trump and his children had committed fraud in their business dealings. And so, you know, they were really only talking about damages. So in both of those cases, Trump is right when he's saying, I show up to courtrooms and I don't really get my day in court because they've already decided the main claim. They're only talking about damages. That's all they're really having a courtroom about, court proceeding. Well, and, and the politics of it uh, have worked very well for Donald Trump. I mean, it's inarguable yeah. at this point. Uh, yeah. Now, yesterday, after he appeared in court, uh, he went and sent, I don't know, a dozen or so messages on his Truth Social platform all about E. Jean Carroll. Uh, at what point does that become additional harassment or does that does that play any role whatsoever i know this case deals with statements he made as president uh, but do those ongoing statements constitute any kind of additional legal peril for donald Trump? so remember you know this is exactly what happened at the first trial right he got he he lost the jury gave a verdict of five million and he took on to you know went to social media and said all those things again and so she was preparing another lawsuit right she goes well you don't obviously you didn't learn your lesson. You just got slammed for five million dollars and you won't shut up. You keep per, you keep perpetuating the same lie that you did. Again, it is an interesting twist because you guys even said, you know, rape. It's interesting that the, the jury didn't find that they found sexual assault. And generally speaking, you know, he's not lying about it if, in fact, he didn't rape her. Right. You know, she's saying rape. They're saying that wasn't a rape. He's saying, I never said I said I never raped her. So, yes, these various the question really becomes, will the judge we've seen this in other Donald Trump matters? Because remember, he likes to go right outside the courthouse and conduct news conferences. By the way, you're right. Probably helped his campaign. Right. He you know, he's not on the trail. He just goes outside and he gets, you know, to get a give a news conference. There's always the chance we've seen this before where the judge can impose gag orders and simply saying, you've got to stop talking because you're only, among other things, contaminating the jury, right? You're not provide, you're providing evidence outside the courtroom. In a trial, you know, the whole point is that the trial, the courtroom is like a little laboratory experiment. All evidence must be seen here, delivered here, not outside, not in the public square, not in public opinion, um, and so that's where that falls in, you know, like in the age of social media, how quickly you can send a message outside the courtroom when, in fact, the only thing that's supposed to matter is what takes place inside the courtroom. As John said, politically, this is really done well for him going back to March of last year when the very first indictment happened. You can see the polling averages for him. They I mean, he shot up his popularity went up. DeSantis's went down at the time, or he lost uh, support at that time, and it has continued to rise since then. He's been using these as, uh, you know, it's political theater for him to show up to the courts. So when's the next opportunity for him with all the legal issues he's currently in? Um, when will be the next opportunity for him to, uh, you know, I know the courts and cameras aren't present in the courts right now for this particular thing, but when's the next time they might get a chance to get a look at him and you can use it? Well, in March, early March, it was the case, the case, the overturning the election results from Washington, D.C. That's the big federal case brought by the special counsel, Jack Smith, 
that was supposed to be uh, a jury being picked uh, roughly around the same time as Super Tuesday. Uh, but that case, you may remember just a couple weeks ago, is on appeal in front of the D.C. Circuit, the appellate court uh, in the in the D.C. area. And then if Donald Trump loses again, remember, he's claiming that he has immunity, a broad immunity. Yeah. Uh, he's going to take that to the Supreme Court. So it's doubtful that that case will kick off in March. In my view, it's just going to take a while to unwind that. Um He's got the case in the, the state court case, the RICO case in Georgia. That's taken on a new gloss also because, you know, the revelations that the district attorney had had a relation, has a relationship with the special counsel who she appointed, um, who's I think the state has given him already three quarters of a million dollars. Who knows where that's going to go? But that's also scheduled for the spring. Uh, and of course, in the summer, they're planning to again. All of this coincides with the primaries and the convention, right? The, let's not forget about the case in South Florida uh, on the documents, the possession of the documents in Mar-a-Lago. Um, and guess what? The first case is the one that we have here in New York. That's going to resume again as well. That's the one about the hush money payments to the porn star as a way to violate campaign finance laws. So, you know, these are various cases there. You know, the only one that's really moved is the one that basically concluded last week, which is the civil fraud fraud trial brought by the New York attorney general against Donald Trump and his sons. Again, civil fraud on the idea that they inflated their assets, their real estate portfolio in order to get more favorable uh, bank loans and insurance policies. But it's not clear whether. You know, and remember, in that case, the judge already ruled on that. But guess what? He'll appeal. And, and he could win in that case because, you know, real estate is subjective. I, I you know, I mean, you know, he, he had a, a forensic expert from the NYU come in and say, I think that the, you know, president's uh, financial documents were all in order. And the, the banks had every opportunity to reject the loan terms if they didn't think that his properties were valued correctly, yep. correctly. So anyway, that could be appealed too. Appreciate it, Thane. Anytime, gentlemen. Thank you. Thane Rosenbaum, CBS News legal analyst, joining us here on the Chris and Amy show on KMOX. Did you see that thing? I can't believe it. Something is obviously wrong. This is a joke, right? Oh, my God. Are you freaking kidding me? No way. you got to be kidding me. Don't feel bad. There's no way you could have known that. Now, did you see this with Chris and Amy on the show? Well, John Hancock, um, this might be one way to get out of trouble. All did right. you see this story about a it, it's a man who pretended to have a British accent um, and pretended to be a completely different person altogether to avoid a rape charge in Utah? I did not see that. Oh, this guy. So he's accused of faking his death, first of all. Then he fleed to the U.S. And he says all of this is complete hearsay. When they finally caught him and he showed up to court, Nicholas uh, Alverdian, let's say Nicholas Alverdian, is charged with the rape of a 21-year-old woman in Utah in 2008. They finally got the DNA test. They did have DNA. So they have, yes, they have caught him. Um, uh, he was extradited from Scotland earlier this month, and when he up to, uh, showed up to court, he said his name was Arthur Knight Brown, 
He gave a different birthday, and he was speaking in British English. Wow. As you can imagine, it did not work. The DNA got it. Yes, him. it didn't. Well, the DNA will always get you. It does. It wins every time. Oh, my God. What are we? People are nuts. Yep. <laughs> yes. Hey, did you watch The Office? Yes. Guess who's coming up next? Uh, uh, Michael Carroll, whatever the guy's name is. No, Creed Bratton. Creed Bratton. Was on The Office. He's got a live show, and he's joining us next on KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.